going to continue here in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, our target verses today, making a little transition in uh, talking about Christian conduct and roles and behavior for Christians, and also now shifting into spiritual warfare. If you know Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the armor of God, and we need the armor of God. We need everything God provides for us to navigate the times and uh, to be able to retain what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Amen. So we're going to just thank God for the word here, and I'm going to jump in and read you uh, the text, verses 10 through 12 of chapter 6. Father, we thank you this morning that we can come together and worship you, Lord, and we can come together and uh, enjoy your word together. Father, we pray for all of those that are sick with flus and COVID and all these things, Lord. We pray for speedy recovery for them, Lord God, and fill these seats back up again. We look forward to seeing them. But Lord, we know that we're here for such a time as this to hear your word. And so open our hearts up and stretch us and give us your wisdom here that we can apply to our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen. So Ephesians chapter 6, uh, talking about the armor of God here. God willing, we're going to spend some time here, a few weeks, uh, just dissecting all of this. But I'm going to read you verses 10 through 12. And uh, 10 is our target verse. It says, finally... Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Uh, again, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Other versions say, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We're going to take a look at that verse here today, what it means to us. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, shine the light on our conduct in the realm of spiritual warfare. And you might think, this is kind of weird. Why would the, a chapter that talks all about Christian conduct, chapter 5, talking about you know, conduct for men and women in marriage and how children should behave, why would this culminate and almost climax in a, in a passage that's famous for spiritual warfare. And here's the reason. Because anytime we advance spiritually in our relationship with God, in our relationship with our spouse, with our family, anytime we advance spiritually and we grow, there's going to be pushback to that. Amen? There's definitely pushback. Why? Because we have an enemy that doesn't want us to grow, that doesn't want us to apply the principles of God, that doesn't want us to live in the abundance of the Holy Spirit. And so whenever we take a few steps forward, there's always pushback. As a Christian, you may have felt this before. It seems like, you know, you take a few steps forward spiritually and you get knocked backwards five steps. Anybody ever experienced that? Amen. There's not many of us, so... Shout it out this morning if you know. And, uh, you know, it's like, I'm, God, I'm trying to do the right stuff. I'm trying to do good things. And many times I've heard, you know, baby Christians who are just trying to get, you know, serving the Lord, and they're like, I don't understand. I'm doing the right stuff, but everything is coming unglued in my life. Uh, things are getting harder. Things are getting worse. Have you ever been there? That's pushback, amen. And look, we need to be aware of it. We need to understand that it's coming, that when we take principles like what we've learned here of Christian conduct and we apply them to our lives and to our marriages and to our homes, the enemy is going to push back against those things. You know, everything that was taught here in the last months 
a husband and a wife that fully embrace what God intended marriage to be and, and want to live in a way that glorifies God, they are going to experience pushback. They're going to experience, uh, you know, just the enemy pressing up against their own homes and their own relationship and their marriage. And that's just something that we have to understand is coming. And the reason that we're talking about this this morning is because spiritual warfare is what we need to do to push back against the pushback. Amen? Just because your enemy doesn't want you to possess God's best for your life doesn't mean you roll over and let him steal it from you. Amen? You and I need to learn how to fight. Come on. You and I need to learn to push back against the pushback. We, we have a real spiritual enemy. He's unseen, but yet we see his fingerprints all over the issues of life. And we know that he would like to try and prevail against us, but God will teach us to fight. Now, verse 10 starts off with a command that's not for the faint of heart. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord, amen. So what God is asking us here is to be strong and to be not strong in our own strength, but in the power of God's might, amen. So as we take a look at that here today, the first thing we've got to say is that God has not commanded his children to be weak or to be soft. Come on. Some of you guys even won't even look at me. Look at me here today. What are you looking at? God has not commanded his children to be soft. God has not commanded his children to be weak, amen? As Christians, yeah, there's times where we feel worn out. There's times where we feel weak. There's times, but that's not a place where we're supposed to live. We are supposed to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. God has not asked us to be weak, but to be strong. And that's the first thing we have to look at here. We live in a, we live in a world that's pretty soft, and it seems like every generation gets softer and softer until something comes and then there's hardship. I think about my grandfather's generation. Those men were so tough. They were so, you know, the, the, the greatest generation, the World War II generation that really laid their lives down for a nation. And we enjoyed the freedoms and all of the blessings that they purchased for uh, with their blood. And yet every generation has gotten softer and softer and softer. And we want to hand it to us. We don't want to work hard for it. If you see the way the work ethic is in our world today, people want, you know, a million-dollar blessing on a dime's worth of dedication. And, and, and it's softness. And listen, that doesn't fly in the kingdom of God. God's not going to just look and go, oh, you know, they're just soft, so I'm just going to pamper them. No, he, he says, be strong in the Lord, Amen. Weakness and softness is not for the child of God. You and I have to learn how to stand up and push back against the pushback so that we can retain what the Lord is doing in our lives. So God commanded his children to be strong, and we understand that. Now, our flesh likes to project strength. Maybe you've met people who they act like they're really strong and they're tough. And, you know, our flesh likes to project strength. Why? Because it's good for the ego. But the flesh also likes to complain when things are hard. Did you ever notice that? The harder, you know, the person who says, oh, I'm not afraid of anything. I can handle anything. And then life gets hard and all of a sudden they come unglued. What is that? that that's like, that's not real strength. That's just verbal vibrato of saying, you know, well, I can handle all this. But yet, real strength faces issues with courage and, and, and with resolve and knowing that the Lord is bigger than the problems we face. We're actually told to pray for a peaceful and quiet life. Did you know that? 
There's nothing wrong. How many people would just like a life that's free of drama, free of, uh, you know, trouble, free of all kinds? Anybody want to? Anybody? Yeah. All right. Most of us have a brain. Amen. You don't wake up in the morning and go, man, I hope life is just rotten, complicated, stinking. Today, I hope the devil attacks me, steals my joy. No, you and I want to live peaceable, quiet lives. In fact, 1 Timothy uh, 2 actually tells us to pray for such things. Listen to 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Listen, for kings and all those in authority. The Bible is telling us to pray for those who are in leadership. Why? Because when they use wisdom and they act righteously and they have integrity, it makes life easier for all of us. So pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceable, peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. So let me just read that again to you. I urge you, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. So yeah, we're supposed to desire that kind of life. We, we shouldn't want trouble and drama and hardship, but... God tells us to pray for it, and that's a good thing. But the Scripture also tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. How many pray for Jerusalem? Has there been much peace there? No. It's been the most hotly contested piece of real estate on planet Earth. Yet the Bible tells us to pray for peace there. You say, Pastor, what's your point? Well, if we're praying for peace and it's you know, it's kind of a hot mess. The point is this, that sometimes we don't always get what we pray for, but we should be praying for it anyway, amen? So that, in regard to what we're looking at here, is that, you know, we pray for peaceful and quiet lives. We pray for peace on earth, you know, and I mean, it's the, it's the thing, you know, what's your one wish? Peace on earth. Well, that's a great wish, but, you know, the truth is that in this life, Jesus said we would have trouble. Hello? We're going to have trouble in this earth, amen? As a Christian, Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. In this life, you, you're going to have trouble. And that's just something we need to understand. John 16, these things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, in, in me that you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So we pray for peace and we believe for peace, but Jesus also promised we would have trouble at times. When trouble comes, we have got to be strong. And trouble's coming. You say, Pastor, why do you have to tell us that? We know it. Yeah, I'm here to remind you today that trouble is coming. As much as we want peace, as much as we want everything to go our way, as much as we want a life of ease, there is trouble to face. And you, you look around, even in our world right now, and the, the trouble we're facing with the illness and the COVID and governmental stuff and shutdowns. And I mean, th there's just so much turmoil all around us. And none of us would have chosen this. None of us would have picked this, amen. But it came, and it's trouble. And we have to face it in, in the strength that comes from the Lord. Now, when trouble comes, people rely on uh, they rely on strength that comes from all kinds of different places. And I want to cover some of this today before we jump in and learn how to rely on the Lord's strength. 
But when trouble comes, people rely on strength that comes from their own grit. Have you ever met somebody who's just, they're tough and they're gritty and they, they got this attitude, well, I, I, can, I can handle anything. You know, it's, it's part of a youth too. When, when we're young, we think, you know, I can handle anything. I'm not afraid of sickness. I'm not afraid of no, nothing. I, I have grit and determination. How many people uh, have seen people like that just gritty? And, and that's good to a degree. We shouldn't be weak. We should have some grit. But listen, our own grit cannot last through the trouble that comes in this life. Our own strength is not going to be enough, church. I want to encourage you today. If you're gritty, if you're tough, that's great. God can use that. But your strength and my strength will not endure to the end. It will fail. Even the tough of us wear out. The toughest of us, get, I mean, what wears us out is time. Time of putting up with the same things and the same trouble and the same over and over again for year after year after year. The toughest of us wear out if we're going just by our own grit. Some people might not rely just on their own grip, but their own intellect. Well, I can talk my way out of it, or I can think my way out of it. Our world worships the intellect and always having an answer for everything. The truth is that when trouble comes there, sometimes we don't have an answer. Have you ever been in a place where you had no idea what to do? Some people even have a hard time admitting this. You know, no, I know, I know what to do. You know, some of us are more stubborn than others, but there's been times where I've had to just sit down in life and look at trouble that wouldn't go away and go, I don't know what to do about this. I'm all out of ideas. Anybody got any ideas? Hey, God, you got any ideas? Have you ever been there? Sometimes our grit is not enough, and sometimes our own intellect is not enough, and sometimes we can't talk it out with our mouth and talk our way out of it. And then what? People rely on these things. People rely on their finances. Well, I'll just buy my way out of it. You know, the Bible says money answers all things. And there's a, there's a, you know, a degree of truth to that, that, you know, if you have a lot of finances, you can buy your way out of a lot of trouble. Come on, that's the world we live in. But there's not enough money sometimes to buy your way out. There's not enough... Uh, words to talk your way out. Sometimes we don't know what the answer is and our own grit is failing and we're tired and, and we can't rely on these things. In some de- to some degree, all of them have a place. Yeah, we've got to be tough. Yeah, we've got to use our heads. We've got to ask God for solutions. We, we, we've got to you know, be, be willing to just lay our lives down. But at the same time, none of these things are going to be enough. We have to learn to rely on God's strength and the power of his might. Only God's strength will never fail you. You and I will never get into a situation where God's strength is not enough. Oh, pastor, you know, I got into trouble and the enemy attacked and, you know, and I I got into sin and I made some real bad decisions, but, you know, God's strength wasn't enough to get me through it. You're never going to hear a testimony like that. It's just not true. God's strength is always enough. It never wears out. It never fails. He's never out of ideas. He always has a solution. And when we learn to rely on his strength and the power of his might, we can face any trouble that comes in life. How do we tap into the strength of God and into the power of his might? There are two ways I want to cover them with you. Number one, the first way we tap into God's strength and the power of his might is this, by learning to be refreshed in his presence. How many of you enjoyed worship this morning? Okay, two of you. All right, well, that's good, clapping. Amen. Don't knock yourself out. 
Worship is a refreshing thing for the Christian. Now, if you, you're, not, you're not a Christian and you come into a worship service and you sit there, you're thinking, why are these people singing this stuff over and over again for so long? I've heard Christians, you know, I've heard people come into a Christian place and, and hear worship and they don't get it. Have you ever been there before? Maybe you were, you know, when you just got saved, you know, you're like, what, what is this all about? Then you realize worship is, you know, a time of refreshing in the presence of God. And we need to learn to be refreshed by the presence of God. Here's a news flash for everybody today. Refreshment does not come from success. Our world says if you're successful and, you, you know, you get that corner office and, you, you know, you, 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 you climb the ladder and you, you got the, the Benjamins and you, you're driving the nice car, well, that's where refreshing comes from, success. Nothing can be further from the truth. Some of the richest people who have all the achievements and all the promotion are the most miserable people on the face of the earth. We see rich people commit suicide at a higher level than poor people. Why is that? Because these things that the world offers are smoke and mirrors, and they don't satisfy. And if you chase them, you'll be like a fool, a dog chasing their own tail, and it'll never satisfy you. So, so refreshment does not come from, you know, having these accomplishments and achievements and, and getting the promotions. It doesn't come from financial increase. If a pile of money was all that we needed, God would, uh, God would have a truck come up to our front yard and dump a pile of money on it. God wants to refresh us, but he knows these are not the things that refresh a soul. You know, refreshment doesn't come from unlimited leisure time. Some people say, if I don't have to work and I don't have to do anything, I'm independently wealthy or I'm retired, then, you know, I'll be refreshed. Or luxury vacations. Listen, I don't know, so, some people like vacations. Every time I've ever gone on a vacation, when I come back, I need a vacation. Vacations wear me out. So where the world says refreshment comes from is not true. True refreshing that refreshes the soul of a man comes from the presence of the Lord. Psalm 1611, you will make known to me the way of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You will make known to me the way of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Where is refreshment? It's in the presence of the Lord. The fullness of joy that comes from the presence of the Lord. The pleasures evermore that come from the presence of the Lord. There's no better place to experience the refreshing presence of the Lord than when we come together in church and worship together. Amen. Come on, church. Talk back to me this morning. Are you falling asleep on me? Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. When you come to church and we come to church and we're worshiping together and we, we break bread together and we hear the word together, that's where God designed refreshing to take place. Why? Because his presence is there. Our world has made it crystal, crystal clear to us in this season that they see the church, clergy, and, and the act of corporate worship as non-essential. We've been branded as non-essential. But the truth is, this is more essential than anything we'll ever do that we come together as the body of Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to minister us and to refresh us. Times of refreshing. 
There's no better place than the church to be refreshed. Now, I'm not saying that the only place you can be refreshed is in church by the presence of God. You and I can experience the presence of God in other places, but Matthew 18, 20 promises us that when we gather together in Jesus' name, he's going to be there. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. Even with people getting the flu and getting COVID and a lot of seats being empty, there's more than two or three of us here today together, amen? So that means Jesus is here with us right now. The Holy Spirit is with us right now, and he wants to refresh us right now. Hebrews 10.25 tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but by exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So the scripture tells us, look, don't quit coming to church. That's the place that God has designed to bring refreshing for the people of God. Now listen, if you, you don't have the right heart and you don't you know, want to connect with Jesus and you don't want to worship, there's people who sit in church, they come in miserable and they leave miserable. They come in sinners and they leave sinners, amen? It's like, it's not automatic that you walk through the door. You and I have to have the right heart. We have to want to be refreshed by the presence of the Lord, amen? I've seen lots of people come into church and leave the way they came. Well, whose fault was that? Well, it was the preacher's fault. He didn't preach good enough to, no, it was, you know, it was the worship team's fault. They didn't play the right songs. If you come in here and leave the way you came, it's your fault. Because the Spirit of the Lord is here right now, and he wants to refresh us by his presence. If you and I will reach out to him and allow him to minister to us. Listen, there's been times in my life where I'm exhausted, I'm beat up, I don't have the energy to take another step, and I don't even want to take another step. Has anyone ever been there? And the Holy Spirit touches me, one word from God, one word from the Holy Spirit, and completely refreshes me. Have you ever experienced that? So refreshment comes from the presence of the Lord. Every born-again, spirit-filled Christian who has a healthy relationship with Christ knows that the church is the place where God refreshes us, and it is essential. I want to say one thing before I move on from this point. If you can go to church, if you can be in worship, if you can hear the word and not be refreshed, something's wrong. If you can do your devotions in the morning, if you can say your prayers and not be refreshed, something is very wrong. You and I shouldn't just be going through the motions as Christians. You and I should be connecting with the Holy Spirit in a meaningful way that brings refreshment to our lives. If you and I can do all of these things and not be refreshed, something is wrong. Acts 3.19 says, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order, listen, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Did you hear that, church? What the scripture is saying there is there's times where if we're not connecting with God, if we're not being refreshed by the Holy Spirit, it's because sin has gotten between us and God. And the remedy for that is to repent and to return. Some of us are just coming to church. We're going through the motions. We're singing the songs, but we're not being refreshed. And I'll tell you what that is. It's because sin has gotten between us and God, and we need to find a place of repentance. Why? So that we can be forgiven and reconnected to the Father so that times of refreshing can come. Help us, Lord, if we're in a spot like that, to find the place of repentance. 
in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. God wants to refresh you. He wants to refresh you. Why? Because it fills us with his strength, with the power of his might, and allows us to face trouble when it comes. Second thing I want to talk about here today before we close down, this is the last point, and, you know, it should only take four or five hours. We need to not only find refreshment in the presence of the Lord, and if we're not finding it, we need to repent and reconnect with the Lord, but we need to cast all our cares upon him. When trouble comes, many times we don't have the strength to face that trouble, and the reason is because we haven't cast all our cares upon him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, cast your care or anxiety on him because he cares for you. Isn't it refreshing to know that somebody cares about you? Come on, there's times in all of our lives where we're going through stuff, where we're hurting, where we're depressed, where we're discouraged, where we're not having success, and everybody around us seems to care little. They, they, they don't care. Have, have, have you ever been there? Come on, it's like, you know, I'm struggling here. I'm hurting here. Does anyone, no, I'm busy with my own stuff. You know, if I, you know, I don't know what to tell you, you know. And, and many times we feel alone. And I want to talk about that a little bit here today. Because if we don't learn to cast our cares on him, the anxiety of those cares is going to overwhelm us and it's going to sap away our strength. And we're not going to have the strength of the Lord and we're going to be overwhelmed by life. Maybe you've been overwhelmed by life. Maybe you've known someone who's overwhelmed by life, and they just can't handle life anymore, and they're Christians. What's that all about? That means we haven't tapped into the strength of, of the Lord that, you know, we're walking in the power of his might, and we're facing the trouble, and we're, we're overcoming. No, instead, we're overcome with anxiety. Now, there's two reasons we run out of strength when trouble comes. The first is this. Many times we feel like we have to face all our troubles ourselves. You know, well, I got trouble and I got, I got issues and I got problems and, you know, nobody can help me. I got to do this all myself. How many people have been there? You know? And nothing could be further from the truth. We are part of the family of God. We're part of the body of Christ. There's people around us who love us and care for us. We've got pastors that, you know, love us and care and care for the flock. And so, you know, we got all these cares upon us, yet we say, you know, i got to handle all this trouble myself. The enemy works really hard to make even the strongest of us feel isolated. You know, there used to be a show on TV, I think it was like, uh, some Wild Kingdom show when we were kids, we used to watch it. There'd always be, you know, animals, uh, uh, some tiger or some lion chasing a little gazelle. Do you guys remember watching those shows when, yeah. And I remember as a kid, you know, watching the one little gazelle. And, it, you know, it was either a, a young one or a sick one or a dumb one. And he'd just get broken off from the whole pack. And you're like, oh, you little dummy, don't do that. And they show the lion in the bushes, and the lion's looking, and he's like, man, there's lunch. And he'd get broken off from the pack, and the pack would get away, and all the adults, and here's the little dumb one running around, and all of a sudden the lion pounces on it and chases it and isolates it from the herd, and then he ambushes it and devours it. You see, the enemy wants to do that to us. He wants to isolate us from the body of Christ. He wants to isolate us from the people who do, do love us. He wants to isolate us from our families and the wisdom to make us feel like we got to do it all ourselves and we don't need any help, you know, because it's our problem and we've got to deal with it. And when he isolates us, he ambushes us 
and he devours us. Even the tough of a, toughest of us can feel worn out and feel like we're facing trouble all alone. In 1 Kings 19, 13 through 18, listen to the, the, the battered emotional spirit state, the spiritual state that one of God's most incredible prophets found himself in. Now, Elijah was an incredible prophet. He did mighty exploits for the Lord. He stood against the forces of wickedness in in supernatural ways that none of us will ever be able to compare with. Yet Elisha found himself feeling isolated, running from uh, Ahab and Jezebel, running for his life, hiding in a cave all by himself, and feeling like, you know, he he had to face all of this himself. Now, listen to Elijah express his situation to the Lord. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So picture this, you're the prophet, you're the man of God, 1 Kings 19, you're running for your life, you're hiding in a cave, you wrap your coat around your face and you come out. And God says to you, yo, what are you doing? Hey, Rick, what are you doing hiding in the corner over there? What's wrong with you? And Elisha says this to the Lord. He has an answer. Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, as if the Lord didn't know that he was very zealous for him. And God and the God of armies for the son of Israel, I have... He's saying, now, this is what Israel has done to you. The sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. Listen to what he says. And I alone am left, and they have sought to take my life. So he's basically saying, God, all the prophets are dead. You know, the sons of Israel have turned wicked. They've torn down your altars. They've broken your covenant. Ahab and Jezebel are pursuing me. I'm hiding here in a cave. I'm the only one left. And they're going to try and kill me. The Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Haziel, king of Aram. You shall also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And, he, and you shall anoint Elisha, the son of Zaphath, and Abel Mehalan as prophet in your place. And it shall come to pass about the one who escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So God says to him, hey, stop hiding in the cave, stop feeling sorry for yourself, and stop saying you're all alone. I want you to anoint these people, and they are going to declare war on on those false prophets, and they're going to put them to death by the edge of the sword. Verse 18, there are 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. God says, I've got a remnant. You're not alone. You're 7,000 plus strong. Understand there's times we feel alone. Look, if, I, if, Elisha, if Elijah could feel so isolated that I'm the only one left, 
We're going to feel the same way at moments, but God says, you're not the only one left. I'm with you. You and I have the Holy Spirit in us. You and I have the family of God, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't have to face all our trouble alone. If we're humble enough to let people in who care, we can face that trouble together. I hope this comes as a great encouragement to you today. The God of heaven and earth is with you, and there is a righteous remnant around you. I love what it says here, those who have not bowed the knee to Baal, meaning they haven't compromised spiritually. You see, every time the church compromises spiritually, compromises the word, uh, refuses to stand up for the unborn, partners with abortion, uh, legitimizes homosexuality, every time the church does this, what do they do? They bow the knee to Baal. And they kiss Baal on the mouth. Who's Baal? He's a false, demonic, wicked God that sought to pervert the worship of Israel to the true and living God. And Baal still functions today. And all those that bow the knee to him and kiss him on the mouth and compromise, God says, yeah, they've turned their back on me. But I've got many, I've got many who will stand for righteousness, even in these last days. So... Cast your cares on him. Don't try and handle it all yourself. He cares for you. The last thing I want to cover is this. Uh, We feel like we have to face things all on our own, and there's other times where we, we feel like we have to carry burdens that God never asked us to. Many of us don't have the strength to face trouble when it comes because we're carrying a lot of baggage. You say, well, where does the baggage come from? It comes from life. It comes from mistakes we make and sins we do and, and, and bad decisions. You say, Pastor, you know, I was abused. I was misused. I got, a lot of, I got a lot of damage from that. I was mentally, physically, sexually abused, and, and I got baggage from that. I, I went through a divorce, Pastor, and it was ugly, and it, and it hurt, and it's left scars on my heart. I strayed from the word. I went back to my sin that you delivered me from. Now I feel unworthy and unforgivable, and all that works out into baggage. You know, I remember when I was young and my children were young, you know, because Kim lives in Canada, we would go on vacation and I would get, you know, going through the airport, I would have more baggage on me than a pack mule. I wish we had pictures, but there'd be backpacks and, you know, we had duffel bags with straps and it would be all over me. I looked like, a, I liked the, the Michelin man and two suitcases. And I remember we had to run to, through the airport to make it to some, uh, you know, different connection or something. I remember running through that. Do you remember just running like this? And I wish we had the video. But you know, I thought about that and the Holy Spirit said to me, that's what a lot of my people look like with all that baggage. Let me tell you something about carrying that baggage. It'll exhaust you. When you and I carry baggage like that every day, unforgiveness and, and, and the scars of abuse and bad decisions and just stuff we've been through, That wears us out. You and I need to learn to cast our cares upon him, to throw that baggage at his feet, to find, well, Pastor, I I haven't dealt with it. Well, then deal with it and bring it to him and get forgiveness and get free. But don't carry that baggage all around because it's sapping your spiritual strength. And then when trouble comes, you don't have the strength to face it. Lay those burdens down. Lay the baggage down. I feel unworthy. I feel unforgivable. The blood of Jesus is more than enough to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We just have to confess. We just have to seek for it. 
Many people carry burdens. I'm worried. I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about the future. I'm worried if I'm going to make it. I'm worried if my family's going to make it. Worry is a huge burden that we carry. Many of us won't cast our cares on him, so when trouble comes, we're already exhausted even before we've had to face it. I want to close with Psalm 55, 22. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. You can trust him. You're not alone. He's always with you. There's a righteous remnant around you. You have the family of God. Don't face your trouble alone. We have the gift of each other. Don't carry burdens around that God wants you to put down. Put those burdens down. Be free from them and experience the joy of the Lord. Cast your cares upon him. Throw those things at his feet. He can carry them. He can handle them. He can forgive them, but you and I can't. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. I thank you for teaching us about spiritual warfare, that we're to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Father, I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters here today that may not feel strong right now. Uh, Father, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. Lord, we don't walk by feelings. We walk by faith. And so whether we feel weak or we feel strong now, we declare, because the word of God says so, that we are strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We refuse to carry around baggage and burdens that the Lord has paid uh, for our, the, the forgiveness for on the cross. And so we, we put those burdens down. Father, I pray for every person who feels like they have to handle their issues and their trouble all by themselves and the enemies isolated them and tricked them to feel like they, that they can't, they, they, there's only one way to do it, it's with their own grit. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would allow them to just find help from their brothers and sisters and those who love them, that they would be able to face the issues with the gift of each other so that we can have victory together. I pray it in Jesus' name.